Welcome to the Become Who You Are podcast, a production of the John Paul II Renewal Center. I'm Jack Riggert, your host, and happy 2023. We're already eight days as I'm recording this. By the time it comes out, it'll come out on the 9th. Uh, nine days into 2023 already. I hope you're doing well. You know, I'm going to read you just a little bit. I was reading the, the Epic the Epic Times, great paper if you get a chance uh, to get that. The Epic Times, it's just, it's just clear, concise, it's honest uh, honest news, you know. It's it just, uh, I can't get enough of it. Anyways, there is a, uh, the, in the opinion section today, there's a piece by Roger Simon, How to Be Happy in 2023, Make Saving the Republic Your New Year's Resolution. And I, I agree with that. You know, he writes, uh, Roger writes, forget the usual losing 10 pounds as your New Year's resolution. It's a bit frivolous now. And let's be honest, how many times have we actually done it? Something far more important has presented itself. Indeed, it has done so for some time and demands our urgent attention for 2023. Our republic is vanishing. If it still exists at all, and it's been replaced by a technocratic surveillance state with a more than passing similarity to communist China. That's a big statement. But for those who, who, who are really in the know, who've been paying attention, you know that's exactly what's going on. See, that's the message Roger goes on to write via Elon Musk and others that's shining through from the almost daily revelations of the collusion between government, big tech, big pharma, and the rest of the globalist empire that seeks to control our every action and thought. You know, Roger's not overstating that. It's amazing. But he goes on to say, but we, we the people, have the power to defeat this. Don't look to politicians to do it for you. Many, if not most, are already bought and paid for by these same forces. If a few do something good, so much the better. But don't rely on it. Rely on yourself. And he goes to remind us, and this is true. See, when we go up against, uh, you know, uh, against this world, we look out in the world, you can become very discouraged. But it was just like the Israelites when they were taken on the Philistines and Goliath comes forth and this huge man, this warrior, and they all fell back in fear. And, and the problem was they're looking at Goliath compared to themselves. And here's young David comes out with a slingshot because he's looking at, at, at Goliath, but in the eyes and through the lens of God behind him. And so God is behind David, and David knows this. So David goes out there not looking at Goliath compared to him, but looking at Goliath compared to God. And, and that's where we're at, and that's the way. So the way to succeed isn't complicated. If remember that you too are media. You have a voice. We all have a voice. We have to stand up and partake in this. You have to get into the know. You have to understand. And you have to understand that this is a spiritual battle. Once you understand it's a spiritual battle and you start walking the walk as you're talking the talk, then you understand that we're engaged in a definitive battle between the forces of the culture of life and the culture of death as John Paul would, would see this. This is very, very clear uh, to me, and, 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 and I hope it's clear to you. In this battle, getting back to Roger's thing, and you know, this is just my ideas from it, but there's no, there is going to be no grand leader, political force riding, and on a great white stallion to rescue us. Yet, there is a hero, or better yet, millions of heroes, and that hero is you and me and the millions of others who our collective actions realized what St. Irenaeus said when he, when he exclaimed, the glory of God is man, men and women, fully alive. The glory of God is when we become fully alive. Millions of mothers, fathers, aunts, and uncles who rally behind St. Catherine of Siena's bold proclamation. That's the name of this podcast when St. Catherine said, become who you are. 
and you will light the world on fire. You know, if we understood who we are and became who we are, the flames of millions upon millions of newly alive human hearts united together as one body with Jesus Christ will light the world on fire and reign in a new culture of life. Is that possible? Is that possible? You know, with God, anything's possible. What is this timing? We don't know. But I'll tell you what, this is a win-win situation. I, I love uh, the way Russell Brand opened his book, Recovery, Freedom from Addictions, and he, and he starts out like this. Here in our glistening, glistening citadel of limitless reflecting screens, and he's talking about the phones, of course, we live on the outside. Today we may awaken and instantly and unthinkingly reach for the phone. Its glow reaching our eyes before the light of dawn and its bulletins dart into our minds before even a moment of acknowledgement of this unbending and unending fact. You are going to die. Yes, you and your children and everyone you love is hurtling toward the boneyard. I know you know, he said. We all know, but because it yields so few likes on Facebook, we purr on in blinkering compliance, filling our days with temporary fixes. A coffee here, a, a uh, an Amazon purchase there, a half-hearted flirt over here, some glinting twitch of pleasure like a silvery stitch on a cadaver to tide you over. And you're probably too clever to repose in God or to pick up some dusty book where the poetry creaks with loathing for women or gays or someone. And, of course, he's talking about the Bible and doing it in a facetious way, right? I, I love the way he says that. Maybe if quantum physics could come up with some force or web or string or something that tethers the mystery to something solid, something measurable, you'd think again. But until then, there's nothing but an empty grave and a blank tombstone, chisel poised. So no one's going to blame you if you perch on a carousel of destructive relationships and unfulfilling work, whirling around, never still, never truly looking within, never really going home. Whoa, that's a, that's an interest. That's an that's a that's an entrance to a book, huh? That's a beautiful opener. So hey, get ready. Today's episode is called Teacher. What must I do to have eternal life? This is a reflection on John Paul II's encyclical Veritatis Splendor. This Veritatis Splendor is just beautiful. The splendor of truth. And it unpacks so much of what we're seeing in the world today. So buckle up and get ready for today's episode. We live in troubled times, don't we? And slowly, though, slowly, and, and you let me know, you know, write, write me an email if you agree with this or if you disagree with this. I'd like to get your opinion on this stuff. My Remember my emails in the show notes. We live in troubled times, and slowly, perhaps even one by one, it seems like some people are finally waking up to the fact that something is amiss. It's not right. It's out of balance. Currents of evil are visible in nearly every corner of the world. And that same evil is knocking on the door of every home and on every single individual human heart. You know, it may be gut check time for us, a time to ask ourselves the same questions posed by the rich young man in the gospel. Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? That's from Matthew 16. It should be no surprise to us that phrase, do good and avoid evil, can be found throughout the Bible. There is no clearer current of evil today in the world than the flagrant attack on the most innocent and vulnerable among us, our children. You know, my heart breaks every time, and I'm hearing more and more and more of these, and I'm, I'm sure you are too, uh, of these former children, now in their 20s, some in their 30s, known as detransitioners. And when they tell their story, it breaks your heart. 
Why didn't we stand up for them? You know, one of them is Prisha Mosley, who began socially transitioning to be perceived as a boy at age 15 years old. At 17, she started testosterone injections to masculinize her body. At 18, she underwent elective plastic surgery to remove both of her breasts. Now she's 24, and Mosley is back to living as a woman. But now she went through puberty and adolescence. She now has broader shoulders, narrower hips, masculine hips. Hair is still growing on her face and her body, and a permanently lower voice is hers today. Today, she's sharing her story with the hope to save others from her mistakes. Looking back, she said, I was so clearly not well at that age of 15. I was so unstable. I literally didn't want to be alive. And I don't understand how at that young age, plus not being even with reality, I could make those decisions decisions which would change my life forever. I can't believe it. What is in it for those doctors? Did they genuinely think they were helping and there's no research to say it would? Or is it just about the money, she asked. And and she goes on to say this. And she continues to heal as she continues to heal and attempts to reverse the damage that hormones and surgery caused her. Mosley said she's considering all her options, including legal action against her providers. They really made me into a lifelong medical patient, she said. Because of her transition, Mosley said she's now left to accept the scraps of the life I should have had and mourn what's gone. The trans community tells you, she said, to kill your old self. It's your dead name. Take on a new name, she said. I literally feel like I did. I killed a child, and that child was me. Wow. You know, this is a long article. You can read the full story. It was written by Kelsey Bolar, B-O-L-A-R, in the Epic Times. I'll try to find the link and put it in the show notes. You know, when I hear story after story like Prisha's, it's hard not to get angry at those who did not protect her, right? And even preyed on her at a very vulnerable time in her life. It's easy to get angry at her doctors, isn't it? Angry at the social media influencers who glamorize transitioning. Angry at our government that's pushing this so-called affirming care on them. And even angry at her parents, maybe, right, for allowing this. Yet at times like this, it's important for us to get above the trees and take in the big picture. So we remember that while there are many people doing many evil things in the world today, behind it all, it's a fierce spiritual battle. And this is the battle that we're in. And in this battle, the doctors are not the enemy. The social media is really not the enemy. Behind it all, the enemy is the enemy. Let's listen to Jesus himself explain this. This is from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Jesus then said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been in bondage to anyone. How is it that you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not continue in the house forever. The son continues forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're descendants of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus went on to say to him, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded and came forth from God. 
I came not out of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? He who is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Wow, that's some powerful stuff right there, isn't it? So why is there not an outrage of the annihilation of the innocents coming from our churches? Why, when I go to school board meetings and and fight against the national uh, sex ed standards and this pornography that we're showing our kids and, and stealing their innocence, why aren't there pastors and priests and bishops all standing there, huh? I don't know. Why do you think? Well, I'll tell you. I say I don't know, but I know. One reason is that one of the common currents of evil we see in the world today is moral relativism, that it's taken root almost unchecked within the walls of so many churches. This is Catholic churches sometimes, Methodist churches, evangelical churches sometimes, right? And there are brave people. But anytime you do find those brave people, any priest, any minister, any preacher, either any teacher who's courageous enough to teach the truth in areas of human sexuality, marriage, and the family is confronted almost uh, and all, often, I should say, aggressively, even by their own congregation at times, at times by their superiors. And of course, they're going to be attacked by the world at large. How many people will walk away and not, not tithe anymore? not donate to the large church anymore. They're all worried about that, right? At the root of all this moral confusion is what Pope Benedict XVI called the dictatorship of moral relativism. The dictatorship of moral relativism. This permeates our culture, and it sunk its tentacles deeply into many areas of the church. Currents of thought which end by detaching human freedom from its essential and constitutive relationship to the truth. See, again, your human freedom, my human freedom, the human freedom of all of us that are acting in the world for good or evil, that freedom cannot be separated from our relationship to the truth. What is the truth, huh? How should I live? If you ever want to know what the truth is, just look up at a crucifix. The truth is not a something. The truth is a somebody, and his name is Jesus Christ. Even those in the church who are not connected on a daily basis in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ are going to be afraid to speak the truth. Thus, the traditional doctrine John Paul II wrote regarding the natural law and the universality and the permanent validity of its precepts is rejected. We're talking about the natural law. Now, this is the moral law written on our hearts. We all should know this, what marriage is, what family is, what children are. A child in the womb, a child that makes it out of the womb and is indoctrinated and sexually exploited in in schools and in, in Netflix and Disney and all over. It's amazing attacks. And who's there to protect them? Well, anyways... Many parts of the moral teachings are, of the church are found simply unacceptable to people. 
And the magisterium of the church, which are made up of all the bishops in the Catholic Church, itself is considered capable of intervening in matters of morality only in order to exhort consciences. In other words, the teaching of the church now is just a way for me to to be in touch with my conscience, and then I will decide, right? So the church is there to propose values. So when Father stands up at the pulpit and says that we should not abort our children, or when these gender dysphoria and gender ideologies are wrong, when marriage is between a man and a woman, ooh, we're going to attack him because it's up to me. You can propose values, Mr. Pastor, but I will decide, huh? Ooh, that's Genesis chapter 3, when Satan is uh, is tempting Eve, and Eve says, no, God told me not to eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did Satan say? You will not die. You will be like God. You can decide what is good and what is evil, right? Whoa. So in light of this, within each individual will independently make his or her her decisions and life choices. But just like Russell Brand said, tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. You better be right. You're making the right choices, right? Hey, look at I always tell people when I'm speaking in in public, when I'm doing parish missions, uh, when I'm speaking on these even very delicate issues in parishes, that when I'm not here to discuss opinions, I'm not here to discuss their opinions. And there's one opinion I really don't want to hear, and that's my opinion, because our opinions come in and go like the tide, right? These emotions, these feelings. You know, what I ate for breakfast today is going to tell me how I'm feeling right now and what decision I might make. No, 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 no. We have to be anchored in the truth. People need to turn to Christ once again, John Paul said, in order to receive from him the answer to their questions about what is good and what is evil. Turning to Christ is more than simply making a statement. You know, I believe in Jesus or I have faith in God. Well, guess who else believes in God? Satan believes in God. Satan believes in Jesus. He has seen him face to face. He tempted him. It will take more than a statement, more than subjective opinions that are frequently heard, which question the intrinsic and unbreakable bond between faith and morality, as if membership in the church and her internal unity were to be cited on the basis of faith alone, while in the sphere of morality, a a pluralism of opinions and kinds of behavior could be tolerated, these being left to the judgment of the individual's subjective conscience, or to the diversity of social and cultural contexts? John said, John Paul said that and again in Veritatis Splendor. So what is he saying again? Well, he's saying, you know, that the church will proclaim, say, a truth. But you know what? In, in this sphere of morality, uh, this pluralism of opinions and kinds of behavior can be tolerated, these, these being left to the judgment of the individual subjective conscience. Where do we get that from? We do have consciences, and we are free. But we're not free to do what's evil. We're not free to choose what's wrong. We're not free to hurt one another. But that's what we're doing today, right? Oh, I can step in and do that. I can, I can cut the, the healthy breasts if I'm a doctor from a, from a confused young woman. I can actually cut off the, the, the penis and the testicles of a young boy, 15 years old, that's confused. I can do that but not really, not for all time. Definitive justice will come, huh? But we don't want to do evil, do we? 
We want to choose the good, and we want to stand for those those young people. Look at it again. Let, let me just proclaim this really loud and clear to people, because I get tired of, of, of people coming back with these empty arguments, trying to say, you know, that's my opinion of this or that. I say, just wait. These are young people. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about young people that are still maturing, that their brains are still maturing. You know, get back to that Hippocratic uh, oath that doctors take. At first, do no harm. Do no harm. You know that over 80% or average of 80 plus percent of all these young people that are confused right now, if they're just left alone, if you walk with them, if you love them, that's and, and, and be there for them, that that eighty percent on average and more more than that actually will just will be comfortable with the body that they were born in if we don't do anything. So why are we so quick huh, to do this? It gets back to what I said. This is a battle between good and evil. This is a battle between Satan and our Lord for our, the human heart. This is the battle for the human heart. Look at Jesus is going to win the battle and did win the battle on the cross already. It's a definitive battle that's won. This is our time, this temporal life that, like Russell Brand said, we bump along a little bit and we're out of here. And we have to decide. This is our time to decide to choose the good, right? So turning to Christ then means that one must, so to speak, enter him with, with all our own self, all ourself. We must open ourselves, John Paul said to Jesus Christ. We must appropriate and assimilate the whole of the reality of the incarnation of Jesus Christ coming into the world, his redemption on the cross, in order to find ourselves. If this profound process takes place within us, within each of us, then John Paul said, we will bear fruit, not only of adoration of God, but also of deeper wonder at himself, at our own selves, and at our brothers and sisters. The beauty, like St. Saint, uh, Saint Ignatius of Loyola and St. Irenaeus would say, huh? the beauty of God is man fully alive. And St. Ignatius uh, would say that, that the Son of God became man so that man can become like God. This is what we're called to. Become who you are, and you will set the world on fire, St. Catherine of Siena said. The awe and wonder of who we are. huh? But we have to be in connection. See, Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, he, he redeemed all of mankind, every single person, Gentile, Jew, right? Everybody is offered this redemption. But salvation, you have to decide. You have to say, yes, it's your free decision. Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? The rich young man asked. And if we wish to go, if we wish to go to the heart of the gospel's teaching and grasp its profound and unchanging content, we must inquire into the meaning of this question asked of Jesus by the rich young man in the gospel, and even more, the meaning of Jesus' reply, allowing ourselves to be guided by Him. John Paul II said, "Jesus says, Why do you ask me about what is good?" Remember what the the rich young man says? He says, teacher, what good, what good must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says again, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. What good must I do to have eternal life can only be found, John Paul said, by turning one's mind and heart to the one, capital O, one who is good. No one is good but God alone. And I'll put the, the, the scripture in the show notes. This comes from Mark and Luke and Matthew. Only God can answer the question about what is good because he is the good itself, just like he is the truth. 
The truth is not a something. The truth is a somebody. The good is the father is good and he creates us good. To ask about the good, in fact, ultimately means to turn toward God, the fullness of goodness. Jesus shows that the young man's question is really a religious question and that the goodness that attracts and at the same time obliges man has its source in God and indeed is God himself. To conclude this episode, this is gut check time for us, a time to ask ourselves the same question posed by the rich young man in the gospel. Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Do good and avoid evil. See, this is our challenge. First, to know the good, and second, to do the good. To know the good, you must know God. And to do the good, God must dwell within us. We are always to be united in union and communion with God. This is how we're created. This is where we're going. Yes, sin separates the heart, but Jesus came into that story to pour his life out to us so that we can enter into holy communion. This is the Mass. This is the Eucharist. Oh, you got to be receiving the Eucharist. And don't go receive the Eucharist with mortal sin on your soul. Go to confession. Take the nuptial bath. Receive the Eucharist. And here's another key for you. This is a key. One key that will determine where you stand happens the first moment when you wake in the morning. Before you look at that blinkering uh, screen that that Russell Brand called it, that thing called the phone, Roll down on your knees and look up at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that in a sense is standing there and confronts us every day. And unlike Adam and Eve, you do not turn away from God, but along with our blessed mother as she kneels there at the Annunciation with the angel Gabriel comes to her and she says what? Yes. And in a way she said yes for all of humanity. So now in the morning before I look at my phone, I just roll to the side of my bed on my knees. And what happens? Jesus chooses us, doesn't he? God chose us. He chose to create us. And now all I say is, yes, I receive that, and I thank you for that, and I choose you too, Jesus, who opens the gate, the the bridge to the Father, right through the crucifix, and he sends us the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and our Blessed Mother who kneels with us. And just as our Blessed Mother was impregnated with Jesus at the Annunciation, we too then are impregnated with God. This simple yet profound act of choosing God before anything else that happens that day will literally change your life. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being with me. Let's have 2023 be a a year where we choose the good every morning. God bless you. Thanks, everyone. Good to be with you. Bye-bye. 